Hello and welcome back to the Be Well Together podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Bowen, and I'm the Director of Employee Engagement Programs at Salesforce. In this weekly series, we bring in luminary speakers and well-being experts to provide insights and tips related to all aspects of mental, physical, and social well-being to help you thrive at work and at home. For those of you introverts who have been struggling to make your presence known, especially while working remote, this episode is for you. Get to know the secret strength of introverts and discover ways to unlock the power of quiet. Joining the podcast today is Susan Kane, a renowned speaker and author of the award-winning books Quiet Power, Quiet Journal, and Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. In today's conversation, Julie Morad, manager of global impact and sustainability and a self-proclaimed introvert, sits down with Susan, who explains the difference between introverts and extroverts, and how these two groups, when empowered correctly, can complement each other to produce a stronger team. Susan shares the benefits of solitude for both introverts and extroverts, mega myths about personality types and leadership, and why having the right vocabulary is so vital for a healthy understanding of our different needs. Here's to you, introverts, extroverts, and ambiverts. We see and hear you. Take it away, Julie and Susan. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Be Well Together. I'm Julie Moore, a manager on our global impact and sustainability team here at Salesforce. And I'm super excited about today's guest because like me, she is an introvert and she is going to talk to us about the unique powers of being an introvert. So without further ado, it's my great pleasure to introduce thought leader and top influencer, Susan Kane. Susan is a New York Times bestselling author. She authored Quiet Power, The Secret Strengths of Introverts. And Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking, which is in its seventh year on the New York Times bestseller list and translated into 40 different languages. She's also the founder of Quiet Revolution, which is a resource for individuals, businesses, and schools that help individuals develop their quiet strengths, no matter what their personality type is. Susan's writings have appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, The Wall Street Journal, and she's been honored with numerous awards for communication and thought leadership. So today, Susan is going to share her insights about the secret strengths of introverts and help us tap into them in our work and personal lives. Susan, welcome to Be Well Together. Thank you so much, Julie. It's such a pleasure to be here. I want to jump right in. So let's start with the basics. Can you help define what an introvert is versus what an extrovert is? And is there anything in between those two? (laughs) Yes. And there's so many different ways to define it, really. But I'll give you a straightforward one that I'm sure many people have heard of, but you can think about where do you get your energy. And um, if you find that, like you might be a very socially skilled person, but feel that you get more energy from being in a quieter setting, a mellower setting, you probably tend to be more introverted. And if you um, get your energy more from being around other people, you're probably more of an extrovert. And I, I often say a good rule of thumb is to think about how you feel when you go to a party. And imagine that it's a party that you truly enjoy with company you truly love, but how do you feel when you hit the two hour mark? And for the introverts at the end of that two hour mark, it's as if you have a battery that's been drained all that time. And so you're starting to wish you could suddenly be teleported home by magic. And if you are more of an extrovert, it's as if your battery is being charged by that experience. And so you're starting to look for the after party And there's more we could talk about the kind of nature and nurture of this and the neurobiology of it. But first to answer your question about, is there something in between? 
The answer is very much yes. So psychologists have actually coined the term ambivert to describe people who are in the middle of the introvert extrovert spectrum. And, and so that's a really important contingent to understand. But beyond that, even if you think of yourself as mostly an introvert or mostly an extrovert, you're going to have your moments where you're behaving like the opposite type because human beings are incredibly and gloriously complex. So I think we should use these terms as enhancements to understand ourselves and each other without feeling at the same time that we're being pinned under a label. And that's an art, not a science, you know, to be able to balance that. But I, I do think it's important. Absolutely. Especially in thinking in kind of the past year, I feel like we've, many of us have been deprived of those social interactions that we're typically quite familiar with. And so even myself as an introvert, I'm rearing for those opportunities to be with others and to fill my cup, recharge my battery that way, which I think is a little bit of a new feeling for me personally. But I think well, we can dive into uh, how COVID might have affected our introvert versus extrovert tendencies in a little. But yeah. there are a lot of misconceptions about introverts. And I think you hit on a couple there, you know, in that sometimes they might be socially awkward or want to be alone all the time. What do you think is the biggest misconception about introverts, the one that you want to dispel for our listeners today? I mean, I can't limit it to one. I have to give you two. That's okay. <laughs> there's, one, there's one kind of mega one. And then there's a, a second one that has huge implications at work. Okay. So first, the mega one is the perception that introvert or, or the assumption that, that introverts are somehow misanthropic, you know, don't like other people. When in fact, even when you look at the way, when you look at the studies in personality psychology, what you find is um, there's one personality trait that has to do with kind of agreeableness and compassion and politeness and these kinds of uh, qualities. And then there's a completely separate trait that has to do with introversion and extroversion. And there's no, those two traits are orthogonal. There's no connection between the two. It's rather that you can be a quite warm and social person, but you're going to express it completely differently if you're an introvert versus an extrovert. Um, so an introvert would, is going to express that social impulse by wanting to spend time with friends, with colleagues, with family that they know well they're gonna to tend to want to have closer and deeper conversations about topics of mutual interest. Whereas an extrovert who's experiencing warm and social impulses will tend to want to have more stimulation coming at them in the form of novelty. You know, They're gonna to want to be meeting new people. They're gonna to wanna to have more people um, who they're interacting with at once because there's just more going on then and more stimulation for them. So that's really what we need to understand instead of thinking of this as pro-social, anti-social or non-social, yes, social. Those are really the wrong paradigms. So that's like, that's the first mega myth. But then the second one that is really important for the workplace is the idea that introverts can't be good leaders. And here too, there, there's just like a raft of studies showing that introverted leaders actually deliver outcomes as strong or in some cases stronger than extroverted leaders. A lot of it depends on kind of what the situation is, but you know, I, I think of one study by, uh, by Adam Grant Wharton, where he, it's really interesting. He, he looked at this series of pizza places. It was like a, a chain of pizza places. And he identified for each one, whether it was managed by an introvert or an extrovert. And what he found was that the pizza places that were 
managed by introverts had better results, better outcomes when those managers were managing proactive employees. Whereas the one, whereas the pizza places that were run by extroverted managers did better when the employees were not proactive. And when you step back from that, you can see why that would be because introverted leaders tend to want to find out what others are thinking and amplify those voices and think about, let me take an idea from you. Let me take an idea from you. Um, an extrovert, just by virtue of having a more dominant or irrepressible kind of personality, will tend to be putting their own stamp on things more. But when you're managing a group of employees who need inspiring and rousing because they're less active, they're less proactive themselves, then that style of, lead of leadership can be more beneficial. So that's just one example of how this plays out when it comes to leadership. Really interesting. And I guess some of that is situational and a bit outside of one's control, but it, for our folks listening, what can introverts be bringing to the table? You know, if you, if you know yourself are an introvert and you're managing a diverse team full of introverts and extroverts, what do you think introverts can bring to the table that really will facilitate a strong team dynamic or, you know, the most effective team possible that makes space for both the extroverts and introverts on the team? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with figuring out whether you're an introvert or an extrovert listening to this, figuring out how to draw on your own strengths. Because as a leader, you have to bring you to the table, right? That people are looking to you. So what do you do well? How do you connect well with other people? So for example, Douglas Conant, who until recently was the, um, the CEO of Campbell Soup, and he, by his own description, is a very introverted and, and somewhat shy person. So when he took over at Campbell, their employee engagement ratings were at the bottom of the Fortune 500. And by the time he stepped down, um, after 10 years, they were all the way at the top. But he wasn't you know, this outgoing schmoozy person. But what he used to do is he would find out who were the employees who had really been contributing. And then... He would sit down and he would write to them personal letters of thanks. And during his time at Campbell, he wrote 30,000 of those letters. I know, I just saw your eyes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah 30,000 letters. You know, it's an, an insane number of letters. And an extroverted leader would find a completely different way of connecting. And that's okay, too. You know, the point is that you have to figure out what your way is. Um, you know, or I'm thinking of another leader who I interviewed at great length, her name is Kathy Fish, and she was uh, one of the senior leaders at P&G. She did R&D, and, um, and she's a real introvert. And she found out that her way of connecting and also being able to wield power effectively was to build one-on-one -on -one alliances with people behind the scenes. So she knew she wasn't the one who would like, you know, come into a room and and take charge of the room and, and have her energy fill it all up. That, that's just not who she was, but it didn't really matter because she figured out how to be strategic with her way of being. And it, that doesn't mean that, that she or Doug Conan or anybody else, including extroverted leaders, it doesn't mean that you don't sometimes need to stretch and do things that are outside the comfort zone of your natural personality. But you want to be stretching mindfully and, um, and as much as you can, drawing on the strengths that come naturally. 
Absolutely. And that self-awareness sounds like one of the most important pieces to be successful. You've said in some of your work that introverts and extroverts are drawn to one another and that they actually need one another. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, first of all, I'll give you just sort of, you know, like a workplace thing that we know that teams that are a mix of introvert and extrovert tend to perform better. Now, why would that be? Because introverts really appreciate extroverts lending the energy that comes naturally to them and getting conversations rolling and the kinds of things that extroverts do quite naturally. Extroverts tend to need introverts to be a kind of grounding force in a conversation. And we actually know even when it comes to the kinds of decision-making styles that we use, what happens is extroverts, because of literally different brain functions, um, extroverts have very dopamine-driven uh, reward networks in their brain. So your reward network that kind of gets activated in response to the prospect of something great happening. Like it could be a new business deal that you're thinking about. It could be some pizza that you're thinking of eating, um, whatever it is. Extroverts reward networks tend to get activated more easily um, and stay activated more readily than those of introverts. And so what does that mean when it comes time to, for decision-making? It means that that extroverts will get really excited about the prospect of a, a new project that you're working on. Great, and that's, that's the pro, that's the advantage. But you can get so excited that you tend not to see what the potential pitfalls are. Um, and, and we know from all different kinds of studies that introverts will tend more to see, okay, this might be happening, this might be happening. They're like looking at the subtleties and it's not because of a difference in cognitive capacity, it's because of a difference in emotional attention and motivation. So we need each other emotionally because just socially groups cohere better when you have the grounding person and when you have the excited person, but also when it comes time to making decisions, you really want to make sure that you have both styles in the room. Yeah, it's that push-pull that's so important, balancing effect. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that's also stood out to me from your work is this kind of concept of solitude and how both introverts and extroverts will benefit from time alone, time spent reflecting alone and just having that that space created to think about things. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the power of solitude? Yes. So when psychologists have looked at who have been the most creative people across a broad variety of domains, whether it's business or science or art, um, they almost always find people who are they're either introverts or they're introverted enough that they can spend time alone. Because it turns out that solitude is not the only ingredient in the creative process. Um, because you could have the most creative idea in the world, but if you can't share it and advance it and exchange ideas with other people, it won't actually do anything for anyone. Um, so you need that piece too. But a key ingredient of the creative process is actually that solitary moment. So like, for example, um, Philippe Stark, who was a great designer, said that he would spend every year from May through September by himself. And during that time, he wouldn't even open up a magazine. Like he certainly wasn't going to parties or anything, but he wouldn't even open up a magazine. And the reason is that human beings are so, we're, we're such social beings, introverts too, all of us, we're so social. 
that we're very porous. We, you know, we pick up what other people are thinking, feeling, processing, all of it just comes to us without us realizing it. So if you want to figure out what you are really going to create, or if you want to solve a problem, the only way you can figure out what you personally believe or might create is to sequester yourself from other people, at least for some period of time. And so I've seen this even in, in completely different contexts, not just creativity. I've interviewed some military leaders like uh, General Stanley McChrystal, who is a self-described introvert, who said that he would, when he had to make an important decision, would always take the time to go off by himself because he knew that if you're only making the decision in situ with everybody around you, you might be getting influenced by others processing without even realizing that it's happening. Um, and it doesn't mean you don't want also the time when you take in other people's ideas. You want that too, but you want to build in the solo time. So, you know, when it, when it comes time to meetings and to problem solving, the best solution really is a hybrid one where you have people having the time to think quietly to themselves and having the time to exchange in a group. Really interesting. I think I definitely resonate with that. And it's something I've spent a lot of time thinking about, but I find it's really hard to actually find the time. What clever or creative ways have you heard in your interviews and throughout your work and or how do you yourself make the time for that reflection and, and solitude? Because I think, you know, we can get so caught up in things, you know, our routines or reading the news or staying up to date with current events or just the day-to-day work slog, whatever it may be that just carving out those moments can be sometimes more challenging than one might imagine. Yeah, I think that the only way it's going to happen is you have to really believe that it matters. <laughs> you have to believe that it matters probably for your emotional health and that it matters for the decisions that you're going to make and your creative powers. So it matters for all of it. Once you believe that it matters, then you start scheduling it in and guarding that time as fiercely as you would um, a client meeting or anything else that you're doing for your work. Or, you know, you mentioned reading the newspaper. So that's something we all have to do. But you need the quiet time too. So. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think that like, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that defending the time as fiercely as you do other things in your life is super important. And I think where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. And, and really scheduling it in mindfully. So, I mean, I haven't been on an actual speaking tour in a while because of COVID, but when I used to do that and I was going around from place to place and airports and this and this, I always like in whatever city I was in would just schedule lots of alone time because I knew that I needed that if I was going to be able to show up and give my full self when I was on stage. So it's really got to go right into the calendar. Yeah. Speaking of COVID, um, a lot of us have spent a lot more time on Zoom in this past year. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it can feel challenging on Zoom to speak up you know, it can be even more challenging than it was in person. Do you have any tips for introverts that are in this kind of new work mode? So I'm going to give you a tip that works equally for Zoom meetings and Zoom calls and for in-person meetings. And that is to think of what you want to say in advance, or at least one point that you'd like to make um, or a question you might want to raise and give yourself a push to speak up early. Because what we know is that ideas that get advanced early in a discussion tend to be the anchoring ideas. Um, And other people will start directing 
their attention towards those ideas, but they'll also start directing their attention towards you. And also something's happening in your mind. You're just starting to feel more a part of things because you've just heard your voice and you know your brain is processing that others have heard your voice. And that creates a virtuous cycle for you. Whereas if you wait longer to speak, you kind of drift emotionally to the margins. And it's not to say that you can't get back from there because you absolutely can. It's not that big a deal. It's just a tweak. It's one of those tweaks that has disproportionate effect. So try it. Okay. Very interesting on my to-do list for sure. What do you find, I mean, just thinking about it quite tactically in the moment, like for that push, have you found anything particularly successful for yourself? Like, you know, it's a timestamp in the meeting or after so-and-so speaks or even having someone else inviting you into the conversation. I feel like that push moment is probably the hardest for a lot of introverts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm going to say two separate things. One is just get used to the feeling of kind of jumping off the emotional cliff and just speaking, even if it doesn't feel natural to you. And it might feel exaggerated and weird to be jumping in at that moment, just, but just try it and see what happens. But you also touched on a really important thing, which is could someone else invite you into the discussion? And that's something, first of all, the answer is yes. And if you have um, a mentor or an ally or the person's running the meeting, um, you might want to say to them beforehand, you know, I, I'd love to speak about such and such topic. Would you mind pointing to me on that one? But also if, the, if, if any of you listening today are in the position of running those meetings and you know that you have people who aren't speaking up as much on those Zoom calls, could you take them aside and, and could you play that role? Could you say to them, you know, I'd love to look to you today for such and such topic. And that way, especially if you're talking about introverts, we like to process our ideas at length before we articulate them. So letting someone know what you're going to be calling on them to speak about is tremendously helpful. Um, yeah, you're not putting them on the spot. You're not having yeah. that fear moment. <laughs> exactly, because they know what they're going to say. And you're you're doing away with the whole kind of like jockeying for who's talking now. Is it the most dominant person? Is it a question of gender? Is it this? Is it that? You want to get rid of all that and create spaces for people to talk where they where none of those other characteristics come into play. I think we've touched on this a little bit, but... If- all humans can be susceptible to anxiety, fears, increased stress, potentially introverts more than others. What are some ways that introverts can protect their mental health? Yeah, well, I mean, the biggest one, if we're talking about introverts specifically, is kind of what we were getting at before, of really scheduling in that alone time into your calendar, because I guarantee you, you need it. Your body needs it. We were talking at the beginning about Well, I was alluding to the fact that there are neurobiological differences between introverts and extroverts. And um, and what we know is that introverts' nervous systems become more readily kind of um, overactivated by stimulation. So it's easier for introverts to kind of get that jangled feeling um, of feeling overwhelmed because our nervous systems react more. Um, Whereas for extroverts, you've got the opposite liability of um, if you don't have enough stimulation coming at you, your nervous system will become understimulated and you'll start to feel kind of listless, checked out, disengaged. But to answer your question, like if if you're somebody who has a a nervous system that is more easily hyperstimulated, you need to be mindful to the physical cues in your life. 
that will get your nervous system into equilibrium. So wherever possible, you want to turn down the noise if, if you find that that's aggravating for you. Even if you don't have, even though I've been preaching, scheduling things into your calendar, even if you haven't done that, you can get into the habit of just taking a quick walk, like once an hour, getting up and walking for five minutes, um, ideally in a quiet place, or at least a place where you can think quietly to yourself. But the main thing I'd say is really start to kind of tune into when do you feel understimulated? When do you feel overstimulated? We're not really taught to think of ourselves that way when in fact that shapes so much of when we're functioning in our sweet spot or not. And I think especially in our modern age, it's so easy to be overstimulated and that's just the norm, you know, constantly on your phone, plugging into a podcast when you go for a walk, listening to music and you're never actually, you know, even though you're doing a walk, which is inherently good for you, you still don't have that downtime to actually really process things, which it requires a very concerted effort to do that sometimes. It's really true. Um, And I would also say that not all forms of stimulation are processed the same by each person. So one person might be more sensitive to uh, the stimulation of lights and for another, it might be sound and for another, it might be lots of social interaction, whatever it is, but you have to pay attention to what tends to overstimulate you And extroverts, you have to pay attention to what do you really crave? Like, what do you need? And um, it's the absence of what that starts to make you feel unengaged or unhappy. And we need to start having these discussions within our teams too, because it might be that you've got one team member who feels overstimulated by a lot of um, back and forth all day long, and another one who feels understimulated when they can't be checking in with their colleagues for lots of feedback and exchanging ideas. And those two needs are kind of opposites, but it doesn't mean that they can't be managed once you understand them. You can work something out, like some sort of system where, I don't know, you know we know that everybody's gonna work quietly for, for the first hour of the day, and then we're gonna check in at the second hour, whatever it is for your team. The point is that you can start understanding these things about each other and then working them out. Even that acknowledgement is just so, so helpful amongst teams. I know it's something my team has spent um, a lot of time discussing, and I think it's been really helpful overall. As we... to know that you've been doing that. Sorry, say that again? It's so nice to know that you've been doing that. Yeah, no, it's really, really helpful. We've done a couple of, you know, user manuals of how does everyone function best. And, you know, I think it's just taking the time to talk about it is something that, you know, a lot of these things, yes, if you're you know, have a high emotional intelligence, you probably would work out. But I think to put it on paper and also to give the person the opportunity to verbalize what works for them, right? That's different than what I might assume works for someone just based off of working with them. Yeah. And sometimes Um, you don't even realize, like, I'm sorry, you were about to ask a question, but um, like my husband and I, for years, we would be driving and he's quite extroverted and, it, and it, we had this scene that we kept repeating that was almost like out of a sitcom where he would he would keep turning up the dial on the music and I would keep turning it down. And even though I, we started noticing this dynamic at the time I was writing Quiet, which was going on for years and we were talking about it all the time, even then we still didn't even really process this difference between us as a question of our different temperaments. But of course it really is. And there's something about having that vocabulary for it that makes it much easier to work out 
yeah, it's not a personal affront. It's just differences and both opinions and perspectives and ways of doing things are valid. It's just, yeah, that awareness of the other person and of yourself is super important. Yep. I'm going to combine two questions that we had because I know we're close to time. I'm based in London. Life is kind of returning to normal a bit. Um, I think many of us are engaging in more social activities. And I'm curious for people who are feeling a bit anxious or worried about re-entering the world, do you have any tips for them? And I think as part of that, as you are likely re-entering the world and kind of assuming life is normal, how are you taking your care of your own self? Well, a couple of different things. One thing is to really sit down and figure out, well, what were the aspects of lockdown life that you actually liked? And what did you not miss about the world before? And what can you keep of that? What can you keep of that? And, you know, so maybe you realized that there was a certain type of socializing or an amount of it or whatever it is that you really let go with no regret and maybe with relief. Okay, so what can you bring of that um, to this new world? And can you manage to say no without having too much FOMO? (laughs) That kind of thing. (laughs) But I think also in terms of the the anxiety that you're talking about with re-entry, some of that is just anxiety about any kind of change that I, I feel like has been really not talked about enough as we've talked about what the pandemic has done to us kind of well, for some going in and for some of us starting to emerge, um, that's obviously going to take a long time, especially globally. But being mindful of how you respond to change. And in general, introverts are going to tend to, they're, they're, they're usually fine with change, but they tend to um, have a little more of a, it takes a moment. It takes a little while. And so what you, when you're feeling that anxiety, just to know what you might be reacting to is not the thing itself, but rather the change from thing A to thing B and just give yourself some time. That's very helpful and resonates a lot. And something my mom has tried to remind me of throughout my life is that I'm sensitive to change, not the thing itself. And my final question, which is how are you taking care of yourself most importantly? I mean... COVID's been weird for me. I, you know, I, I lost, I lost my father and my brother to it. So that's oh, I'm really sorry. rough, obviously. Thank you. Yes. And then, you know, and then there've been other ways where like, just because of the work I do, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's been the, the actual work aspect of it hasn't been that difficult for me. It was really hard for me at the beginning because I love to write in cafes and I'm writing a, a new book right now. It's coming out next year. Very exciting. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to finish this manuscript. It's due um, in a couple of months. I have to finish this without being able to write in a cafe. I don't even know if I can do that. Um, so I had to really adjust to writing at home, which was very hard. Now emerging is uh, little by little. I don't know. It, that part's actually been pretty smooth. Good. Yeah, that's great to hear. I mean, again, very sorry for your loss. I think your point about thinking, you know, taking the time to reflect on what this past year and a half has been is so important for so many reasons to just get in touch with yourself of what's important to you, what people are important to you, what elements of your routine are important to you and what can we let go of? Cause there's definitely some things that we can let go of that are not serving us. And that, that reflection time is critical to understanding that. Yeah. And I, what I realized is for some people um, they found lockdown to be a relief for others, it was awful. And 
that I think you can welcome both of those reactions as a clue to whether your pre-lockdown life was working for you or not. And that's not really an introvert extrovert thing. Like I'm thinking of a friend of mine who's really extroverted and she was so relieved when lockdown started. And she realized that even for her, you know, her life was just too 24 seven. It was too on. Whereas honestly, I didn't have as, for me, I was more at the beginning, really just mourning my cafe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, because my life before had been in a pretty good equilibrium. I I was lucky that way. Totally. Well, thank you so much, Susan. This was such a fun conversation to have with you and really excited for your upcoming book. And to our audience, remember, be happy, be healthy, and be well. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much, Julie. It was great to talk with you. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Please be sure to leave a rating and review. We also encourage you to share this podcast with friends, family, and anyone you think could use a boost of inspiration. For more Be Well Together goodness, visit salesforce.com plus or click the link in our show notes. Then check back here again next week for our episode on essentialism, how to achieve more by doing less with leadership strategist and best-selling author, Greg McEwen.